Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about advanced care planning in five easy steps is M. Jane Markley. M. Jane Markley, RN, president of M. Jane Markley Consulting, is a consultant and healthcare ethics advisor with 35 plus years experience in healthcare. She works with individuals, families, organizations, ethics committees, and healthcare systems to help them understand the importance of advanced care planning for themselves, their loved ones, and their members. A retired Navy nurse, she is board certified in healthcare management, a patient advocate, and a former hospital ethics committee chair. She trains healthcare advocates, speaks nationally and internationally, and works one-on-one -on -one with individuals and their families to complete their advanced directives. How are you doing today, Jane? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jason. Well, thank you for being here today. I'm looking forward to our time together. Um, before we get started, a little bit of housekeeping for those that are joining us today for our live webinar. Type your questions in. Time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get those questions answered. So, Jane, I'd like to talk about advanced care planning in five easy steps. Thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure to be able to present again for the Knowledgeable Aging webinar series. Now, this is the second in a group of programs that I will be putting on over the next year that allows us the opportunity to give you the information that you need to make sure that you've got an advanced directive in place and that advanced care planning is done for you and hopefully for your family as well. Advanced care planning is extremely important for everyone. Um, one of the things you need to understand is it shouldn't take you a whole year to do this. I'm doing this periodically in order to keep people engaged and involved. Uh, an advanced directive can be done in anywhere from month to two months. Uh, it all depends on how motivated you are and how willing you are. I mean, I've known people who've done them in a week, so it, it, it's not something that has to take a long period of time. It isn't hard, it's just understanding what needs to happen. It's a new skill that you've probably never used before. As those who've seen this before, have the conversation and give the gift is my mantra. It is extremely important that you not just do a document. Doing a document is what's happened for many years um, and it's nice to have an end game and something you need to accomplish, but having the conversation around the document is critical to the success of that document. Having the conversation is a gift that you give to your loved ones, yourself, and to the medical profession. We in the medical profession don't know you, and it's very important for us to better understand who you are and what you want. And that's what an advanced care plan can give us. So perhaps you're on the same wavelength with me today, and I hope you are, but let's get into the five steps, as uh, Jason mentioned. The five steps is a process. It's not, okay, I learned something first, and then I forget about learning ever again. It is a process. You'll be going back and forth between these five steps, not only to put your plan together, but to review your plan at a later date. This should be an ongoing activity for you and should start as early as age 18. Yes, age 18. I work a lot with millennials these days and folks getting off to college and graduating from high school and going out to work. They need this as well. So it's, a, it's, a, it's not something that is a once and done. It is something that 
provide you with the opportunity to review and build on what you, you've done to begin with. So the first of the five steps is to learn. Learning comes in many phases, but what I'm talking about here learning is learning about yourself. Who are you? What matters to you? What is going on with you medically? Now, some people tell me, oh, I'm fine, I'm healthy, I don't need to do this stuff. It's for old folks, it's for people who you know, are sick. I'm not sick, I don't need this. Yes, but I bet you get on the highway frequently in your car. You never quite know what's gonna happen when you leave to go on to the highway. You never know when you might trip and fall down a flight of stairs and not be able to speak for yourself. So it's important to learn about what's going on in your healthcare now so that you can start to think about how you'd wanna be treated as you, as you, are, as you age. Um, you learn about any medical conditions that you may have and what would be the kind of treatment modalities that we might look forward to in the future because of those particular uh, healthcare conditions. And as you're learning, there'll be other things you learn about too. So we'll roll back to this again. Second, you need to think. Americans are notorious for their to-do lists and they're forever on that little gerbil wheel, run along trying to make sure everything gets done and uh, with more things on the list than can possibly be accomplished in one day. You need to take some time to stop and think and decide what kind of things matter most to you. And you're gonna hear me use that phrase a lot. What are your basic beliefs, values, preferences? What makes you tick? All of these things may affect your decision-making. So you need to be thinking about them and formulating, there's number three, a plan. That plan will be based on what you've learned and based on how you think and what your values are. It's not what matters, it's what matters to you. That's important um, because what matters to you may not be what matters to other people. So it's important as you formulate to be thinking about those things and building building on your understanding. As you formulate, you may think, well, wait a minute, I don't know a whole lot about CPR. Maybe I ought to learn something about that. And that's certainly one of the things that would come in the learning side. As you're formulating, it's a good opportunity to start talking to other people about it, whether that's your healthcare provider, your faith-based person, your spouse, your children, your loved ones, your next door neighbor. Who's the person who's going to be called when you have that incident, that crisis as I refer to it? When you fall down the stairs in the middle of the night and EMTs take you off to the hospital and when you arrive at the hospital, you can no longer speak for yourself. Who is it that is gonna be the person that you're gonna want. And that's your designee, the person that you designate to speak for you. So I've covered all five, but there's a lot of detail within each one. Communicating to others is not meant as a drill to find out what they don't like about your plan. 
It's meant as a drill to help them to understand what matters most to you. Not what's the matter with you, but what matters most to you. So that's part of that communication piece. They may have questions that come up that require you to cycle back to the learn again because you haven't thought about it. You know, do you want a ventilator? Ooh, why would I want a ventilator? All of those questions and permutations that you probably never thought about and may not be quite ready to answer the question for. That's why I say sometimes for some people who haven't had any conscious thoughts about this in the past, this may take longer than just a, a few weeks. Trying to understand what is important to you and what makes a difference. As you're communicating, you're thinking about who would be that best person to be able to speak for you if you could no longer speak for yourself. It does not need to be your spouse, but certainly can be your spouse. The designee needs to be documented in the advanced directive, but you do not document them in the advanced directive before you ask them. Please ask them, would you be willing to do this? And if you're like me, when someone asks me, my first thing is, okay, communicate with me. Tell me what it is you want me to do. Tell me what matters most to you so that I can make good decisions for you if you can no longer speak for yourself. And you need more than one. It's best to have two or three people. Um, two or three people will allow you to have someone who can come when the need is arising. I mean, two o'clock in the morning, you may not be able to get somebody out of bed. But if you've got three people on the list, one of them may be able to um, be communicated with at that ungodly hour. So it's important to get identify three people and talk to them. Help them understand what it is that matters most to you and what kind of care you might want. And if you don't know that now, as I said, it will come with time as you begin to have the dialogue with folks. That person who you've identified, let's talk about the first person, must be ready, willing, and able to make those decisions for you. What, I, what do I mean by ready? Well, they need to be understanding of what your needs are. They need to know you. They need to understand what, you, what you're asking them to do. Willing, they need to be willing to do and come in the middle of the night when a crisis occurs and be available in your hospital or wherever you are to help you to answer questions for you, to get in the face of healthcare and the physicians that you will be taking care of you and the nurses, to make sure that they're doing what it is you want. They don't know you. They are dependent upon the healthcare agent to tell them who you are and help them understand what matters most to you. Because we in the healthcare community take care of a lot of people, most of them we don't know before we see them. So we don't know what we don't know. So it's important for us to have that healthcare agent who is ready, willing, and able to be there. You know, if your son is 
uh, in the military and stationed in Japan, sure, he can do it. Long distance phone calls, maybe Skype calls, WhatsApp, whatever the technology is, but it's not quite like being there at the bedside. I'd use him for a backup um, rather than a primary because he's not able to be there with you. So what you don't want to do is you don't want to surprise anybody by putting their name down without talking to them and asking them if they are willing to do it. You need to talk to them about your goals of care. What is it? You know, if you're someone with, a, with multiple medical conditions, what is your goal of care? Is it to live forever? Probably not a realistic expectation, but certainly a choice that you can make. Um, if you prefer that if you can no longer speak to your children and your grandchildren and you don't want um, you don't want to be um, alive but non-communicative, that's something they need to know. All of these types of things are part of the conversation that you need to have. It sounds overwhelming. Once you get into it, it becomes much easier because subjects will pop up and questions will pop up that will help you to identify what goals of care you want. So what is the key to success? There's a, there are several of them. First, you need to pick a tool. Now, what's a tool? A tool is one of the well over 100, I think there may be thousands of these tools out there right now, that will be the tool you will use to identify your, those preferences that we've just talked about. Every state has a tool, and there are tools from many hospitals, many healthcare systems, many lawyers' offices. There are two others that I'm gonna mention because they're probably the most used tools in the world right now. One is Five Wishes. Five Wishes is known as the living will with a heart and soul. And that's what you're doing here. You're developing your living will and your durable power of attorney for healthcare, that healthcare agent who can speak for you when you can no longer speak for yourself. And that's the only time this goes into play. Five Wishes is also a great tool for helping you work through the process of what you want because it gives you ideas, gives you coaching along the way. Another one, which is totally electronic, is My Directives. And My Directives offers you the opportunity to put this all in digits online. And so it's readily available for pulling up wherever you may be. Uh, the, the document itself is pretty user-friendly uh, and also offers you the opportunity to videotape yourself giving a little soliloquy, if you will, of what it is that is, does matter most to you and what it is that you want to reflect on for your loved ones. The tool, whatever tool you use, I don't care. It doesn't matter. What matters is it is a tool that you will use and will complete and will sign and get witnessed. If you're not into doing all the legalese and you're, you, it confuses you, don't use a state document. Use one of the others. If you're more 
social and, as my husband says, touchy-feely, Five Wishes is a great document. If you're more into the computer side of things and you just want to get it done and dusted, my directives. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you complete it. That's the goal. It allows you to take control of those things that you can take control of. Otherwise, modern medicine will go off and do whatever modern medicine will do. Because the purpose of an ER is to take care of you, to get you better, to move you on to next levels of care, and to do whatever they can to keep you alive. So if that's certainly not your preference, or if you have another alternative, or you want them to know something, an excellent thing to put into your advanced directive that, that many people don't think of, they do when they read the Five Wishes document, is, okay, if you're someone who sleeps at night with your feet outside the covers, what would happen if you were trying to sleep and some very enthusiastic, well-thinking nurse comes along and tucks your feet in and you can't say anything? How do you feel? Miserable. Okay. These are the kinds of things that if put into your advanced directive, help us as healthcare workers to give you the care you want. You need to know what you want or what you don't want. You know, please don't play music in my room or please do play music and this is the kind of music I want you to play. You need to be clear what it is is important to you. You need to communicate those preferences with your healthcare agent and all, all of them, however many you do designated. You need to make your preferences very clear. They need to be clear because you aren't going to be able to be talking to these people. You aren't going to be able to clarify anything. And that's the purpose of the initial communication is so that you can help clarify early on, then document and leave them with a uh, with a, a document. I have a had a patient who dutifully did all of this. She was wonderful. She did everything, um, but when it came for her needing to use the documents, she went to the emergency room. Her family all showed up. They all remembered having a conversation with her about this. And guess what? They all remembered that she wanted something different. One said she wanted everything done. One said she didn't want anything done and all the permutations in between. Could they find the document? No, she hadn't followed directions. She'd put the document in her safe deposit box. And for those of you who have those, you'll know that the safe deposit box can only be opened by the individual unless they're deceased. And by the time they got to the safe deposit box, after she had died, having spent two months in the ICU, they found out that she, in fact, didn't want to go to that ICU. She didn't want to be intubated. She wanted nature to take its course. Now, there are some people who remembered that. Many others didn't. And that's why having it in a document that's available for everyone to read is critical. So you want to share that advanced directive with people with whom you've had the conversation. 
that conversation may have been with your next door neighbor because that's the person who's going to get called in the middle of the night because they're right there. As I said earlier, it could be with your family. It could be with um, your faith-based person. It doesn't matter. They all need a copy, anyone you've spoken with. And you always want to keep a list of who you give that document to because when you want to redo the document, which is the beauty of this whole thing is that you can redo it at any time. Anytime something changes for you, you have the opportunity to redo it. So you want to make sure that you share it with others and know who to give it to when you do update it. And you want to store it for easy retrieval because you want it to be available um, for whoever may need it. Now, there are a lot of resources out there that you can you can go to, but why is it, we moved along, go ahead to the next. Why is it that it's a crisis if there's not a plan? Basically, people don't know what you want. They don't know how to take care of you. The medical team, as I've mentioned before, lacks any guidance. We'll dutifully tighten those sheets down for you, or we'll be playing some rock and roll music that we like, which you don't want to listen to. Or we may put tubes in that you wouldn't have chosen to do. So you won't get the care you desire unless you let us know. And that's why the plan is so important. Because otherwise, you get care that you do not desire. And what that does is it leaves your family feeling very guilty because they can't answer the questions that the healthcare providers ask. What would your mother have wanted if this were to have happened? 90% of the time, people shake their head and say, I haven't got a clue. We never talked about it. It's important to have that conversation. You're, and not leave your loved ones feeling guilty that they've not done what they should have for you because they are forced to make decisions without knowing. And although it may seem trite, these folks will feel guilty for the rest of their lives because there is never ever going to be a way for them to know if they made the right decisions for you because you'll be gone. And I tell you, people 20 years out from an incident like this are st still wondering, gee, did I make the right decision? Is that what mom would have wanted? So it's important to do this. Now we're talking about the five uh, steps. You're learning and you see how the learning can cycle itself around as you learn more and more about what what's what and what's out there and what uh, what might need to be considered. Then there's that thinking, oh boy, we gotta do that thinking again. That happens all the time. And then making the decisions or formulating what it is you want. And fourth, the communicating, which I feel is the most important facet of the entire process because without that communication, people won't know what you want and they will be left with that guilt package. And there's nothing at that point that anyone can do for you. And then making sure that you have the right person 
to speak for you. It should be someone who is ready, willing, and able to do that work. Someone who can has a little bit of chutzpah, who can stand up to the healthcare system and, and get to their um, get to them and make sure that they're doing what you wanted. The list that's up now is a list of references that are great for you to go research and take a look at. They give you good guidance. Um, for those of you who are really stuck on all these medical terms, the National Institute on Aging is a great place for you to go. Use that website and find out more about advanced care planning. Now, our next program will address how to start this conversation with others. So many people tell me, well, that's all great and good, Jane. You know, I've now got the five steps, but how do I get my family to talk about this? They, they, you know, they stonewall on me. There are tricks of the trade that you can use to stop the stonewalling, to insert it. And remember, you don't need their permission to do this. Okay. You need to find that one person or more who can be your healthcare agent who are willing to work with you on this. But if your family doesn't like it other than that, so what? You've talked to them, you've shared it with them, you have someone who can be your agent, and you need to move it forward and make it happen. So you don't want to leave anybody with that guilt. Now, Jason, I'm sure we have some questions from the audience at this point in time. Absolutely. Hold on for a second, Jane. Uh, really good information. We have quite a few questions, actually. Um, first question, you had mentioned that this is an ongoing, uh, if they fill it out when they're 21, how often should somebody review their advanced care directive with you? Well, if you're 21, I recommend that you review it, you know, like every 10 years. <laughs> um, okay. If As you get older, you may want to review it more often. But there are the five Ds that are the five discriminators of when you would like to um, review it. First, if your diagnosis change, you know, if you get a new diagnosis or <laughs> something else happens, um, there's a deterioration in your healthcare. No new diagnosis, but you're not as well as you were. You're getting worse. Those are, that's an ideal time to relook at it, talk to your physician about it, find out what is going on, and make sure that the guidance you've provided is real for the circumstances that you have today. If there's a death, for example, if you lose one of your healthcare agents, so you've got to go back and look at it, and you've got to fill in somebody um, and have that conversation again and keep talking about it and making sure that you've got the right people in there. So that would be extremely important. If there's a divorce, people laugh at this, you know, but I know people whose exes are their durable power of attorney for healthcare. They are the healthcare agent. Even though they're no longer married, they are the healthcare agent. And they, the question always is when you get a person who's divorced, did that person really mean to do that? Or was it just they never got around to making a change? So we always recommend that somebody who has a divorce, when the divorce is complete and final, they do a new directive so that the, everyone is clear that this is the person they want, even though they are divorced from them. And finally, distance. 
as I talked about earlier, your son's in Japan, you know, the person you're using um, gets an assignment over, overseas or um, is no longer living in your town and is on travel all the time, you know, maybe that's not the right person to still be your primary. So distance is another reason that something would come up. And certainly anytime you change your mind about what's in that document is the time to relook at it and use it as a as a, a tool to it's also a good time to relook at it when you're trying to talk to your loved ones about completing their plans because they right. need them as badly as you. You don't want to be left not knowing what they want and feel guilty that you don't. All right. Uh, do you need a lawyer to complete these documents, Jane? You may use a lawyer, but a lawyer is not at all required. Okay. Um, anyone can complete these. You don't even need me to help you do this. You know, what you need is to go through the five steps, get one of those tools I mentioned, complete them, find two, I say, over-the-fence neighbors, people who know you but don't, um, who really probably could care less, but they are great people to be your witnesses because all they're witnessing is that you have completed this document and you've signed that it's your document. And once that's done, you have a legal document. So no, a lawyer is not uh, required. And I can tell you horror stories about some of the documents that lawyers have put out. So use those tools that you've been given and do it yourself. How does the information in your plan, Jane, how does that get to the medical professionals who need it? Well, this is one of the conundrums of the document and why I've talked about making sure it's readily available. Everyone is encouraged in all of the tools that you have out there to, to fill out a, a um, wallet card. And that, that wallet card will be something you should carry with you at all times. And it basically says who you are, that you have an advanced care plan and who your agent is so that they can contact them. There are also uh, repositories like my directives has where you can upload your documents and make them available. <clears throat> and you would put that on your wallet card as well so people knew where to get them. Um, there's a lot of different ways. and. Unfortunately, there's not a national standard yet. Some states have their own standards, and so that's helpful, but um, there is no national standard. So it's a, the onus is on you. It's your health. It's your care. Keep that wallet card with you. Make sure everyone knows about it. Some states even allow you to put your healthcare agent in your driver's license repository so that the police you know, if you have an accident, they can, they'll look you up and they'll see who's the person to contact. Well, you need to make sure if your state has that capability that you put your, your um, agent into that box so that they will be the first people called. This is an interesting question. Do family members make the best designees? They can. But okay. they don't always. I think that's that's the best way of answering that. Sometimes the family member is too close, is too emotional, and is too um, set on what they want versus what you want. 
And uh, that's what happened to me. My mother, when she gave me her advance directive, told me the reason she'd given it, asked me to be her healthcare agent was because she knew my father could never do what she wanted done. And she knew, even though I might not like it, that I probably could do it because of my medical background and because of who I was. And so it's important to pick the right person, whether it's a spouse, a family member, a next door neighbor, uh, you know, somebody from your faith-based group, you know, whoever it is, they need to be ready, willing, and able. Um, and if they're not, then they're not the right choice. Right. Last question, Jane. How can you be sure that the medical professionals will communicate with your designee, your, your, what your wishes are? Well, that's why you need to pick a good designee. That person needs to, as I said earlier, have the chutzpah to march themselves in with an advanced directive and say, listen, here's their advanced directive. I'm named in this. I want to know what's going on. I want to be involved. I want to help. I want to make a difference in this person's life. But I need you to talk to me and let me know what's going on. And the minute they see things diverging from that direction, and in other words, they're trying to do things that the person was clear about not wanting done, then they have to stand up to the plate and say, wait a minute, let's talk about this before we move forward. And people say to me, well, the doctors are so intimidating and it, it, it. I understand that. And they have been for years. And but they and they do have an important role here. But sometimes they're stayed in their ways like all of us are at times. And every medical center in this country has an ethics committee. If you run into a roadblock or your, your agent runs into a roadblock, they need to know they can call the medical ethics committee or the healthcare ethics committee, and they will help work through the issues related to your, your person's care. Very good. Well, this is uh, excellent information, Jane. How can people find you? It's really easy. You can see my information on the screen. Uh, you can just email me at jane at mjmarkley.com. Go into my website at mjmarkley.com and take a look at what's there. Also, for those who want more information, there, I put out newsletters every month. Uh, and uh, you can sign up for those newsletters. Or you can go onto my website and take a look at the old newsletters and view them. Um, I've got over a hundred in there, so there's there's lots of data points and information for for you to learn from. But feel free to give me a call. I'll chat with you and be happy to get you started in the right direction. Once again, Jane, thank you so much. Thank you. Until uh, next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.